When we look at the Bible and history, we see the big events, nations, prophecy, and signs in the sky that point us to Jesus. But this year, we're looking at individual lives, the stories of births of sons that point us to Jesus. The birth of a child, whether it's our own or a grandchild or siblings, is always an important thing. And Christmas is supposed to be, among other things, the season of peace. We hear the words, peace on earth, prince of peace. We hear those all the times, but think about what's actually happening in our lives at Christmas time. Maybe we're rushing around at work because there's end-of-year deadlines or people are getting ready to go on vacation and so this stuff has to get done. Sometimes people are getting end-of-year medical procedures because my deductible has been met, so got to get this elective surgery done because I won't have to pay for it. We're scheduling parties, scheduling family. People are making trips. Got to buy presents, shopping and cooking and mailing. Got to get to the post office in that long line. I had to go to... Roseville to pick up a package that my father sent FedEx because they didn't deliver to my house. So I had to drive out there in the snow. You know, got to get this stuff because my dad's like, make sure you get that present. You know, so got to get our cards out. Last year, we didn't get our Christmas cards out till Easter. We sent out Easter cards. We just couldn't get it done. During this season of peace, our president has had impeachment, uh, articles of impeachment voted against him. Now, he seems to still be at peace about it. He doesn't really seem to care. <laughs> but it's kind of, you know, and you know what else? I need to make some time and find a babysitter so I can go see Star Wars. Rise of Skywalker's out. Where's the peace? I'm busy. The life of Solomon, he is the great peacetime king of Israel. And today we're going to look at Solomon and see how his peace, how he shows us the peace that's found in Jesus. If you want to turn your Bibles, we're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 12 to start with. Now, um... I'm going to read this, and then then we're going to start with an illustration. But so, Second Samuel 12, verse 14. It says, "However, now this is what's happened uh, after David and Bathsheba incident." Second Samuel 12:14. However, because you can treat the Lord with such contempt in this matter, the son born to you will die. Then Nathan went home. The Lord struck the baby that Uriah's wife had borne to David, and, sh- and he became deathly ill. David pleaded with God for the boy. He fasted, went home, and spent the night lying on the ground. The elders of his house stood beside him to get up from the ground, but he was unwilling and would not eat anything with them. On the seventh day, the baby died. But David's servants were afraid to tell him the baby was dead. They said, look, while the baby was alive, we spoke to him, and he wouldn't listen to us. So how can we tell him the baby is dead? He may do something desperate. 
When David saw that his servants were whispering to each other, he guessed that the baby was dead. So he asked his servants, is the baby dead? He's dead, they replied. Verse 20, then David got up from the ground. He washed and anointed himself, changed his clothes, went to the Lord's house and worshiped. Then he went home and requested something to eat. So they served him food and he ate. His servants asked him, why have you done this? While the baby was alive, you fasted and wept. But when he died, you got up and ate food. He answered, while the baby was alive, I fasted and wept because I thought, who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me and let him live. But now that he is dead, why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I'll go to him, but he will never return to me. Then David comforted his wife, Bathsheba. He went to her and slept with her. She gave birth to a son and named him Solomon. The Lord loved him, and he sent a message through the prophet Nathan, who named him Jedidiah, because of the Lord. Now, this is a story of about a family in trouble. And I could think of no better illustration of a family that's in turmoil than the Simpsons. And so I'm going to show you a clip from The Simpsons. This is from season one. And I, the reason why I was able to remember this is because I don't think I've watched The Simpsons since maybe season one, which was a long time ago. So uh, The Simpsons realize that they are a dysfunctional family, and so they go to therapy to become a better family. They've seen a commercial on TV that Dr. Monroe will guarantee family bliss or double your money back. So Homer sells their TV so they can afford to go to therapy. So let's watch. We're them at therapy. Oh, where's the video? Is it not back there? There it is. Here, Mom. Hey, I thought we were making real progress. No, I'm not. <laughs> Get back. Please, you just 
I think the I thought we were making real progress is one of the best lines ever. <laughs> this family needs peace. And it turns out they actually do get a little bit of peace because they take that $500 and they buy a new TV and they say, we earned it together. <laughs> it's not how peace comes. But the arrival of Solomon brought family peace. You know, think of the family situation. David and Bathsheba have committed adultery and Bathsheba got pregnant. David has killed Bathsheba's husband. And he got caught. So he's married her, but now they're dealing with all the repercussions of that. Bathsheba is probably dealing with guilt and shame. So is David. And in addition to this guilt and shame, the baby is born and is ill and finally dies. Despite David's prayers and despite having actually received forgiveness. And so David mourns the baby's death before the baby even dies, and then we don't have it written here, but Bathsheba probably after. That's their family situation. This is a grieving family. This is a hurting family. But then peace comes. Eventually, David and Bathsheba come together. She gets pregnant again, and they have another son. And they name him Solomon. Solomon means peace. And then Nathan the prophet, who is the one who confronted David and called him out on his sin, shows up and he says, God is giving your son another name, Jedidiah, which means loved of Yah, loved of Yahweh. He's peace and he's loved by God. So David, sure, this son is not going to die. The birth of Solomon brings peace to his family that was broken and hurting. The birth of Solomon brings a restoration to each other and also a realized restoration with God. They were already forgiven, but it wasn't until Solomon was given the name Jedediah that they actually probably felt like they were forgiven. Now Jesus, we know he brought peace to families as well. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. That brought peace to his sisters. Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law from being sick. I'm sure that brought peace to that household. Unless she was a cantankerous old mother-in-law, then maybe it brought trouble. Who knows? Jesus healed people's children. Jesus raised people's children from the dead. Jesus brought peace to families. But that's not necessarily where Jesus starts. Jesus says in Matthew 10, 34 through 36, Don't assume that I came to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. I came to turn man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. 
doesn't seem like Jesus was actually like promoting family peace here. Even think of the birth of Jesus. Joseph wasn't at peace at the start of all this. He finds out Mary's pregnant and he's like, this is trouble. I'm going to have to divorce her. I'm not going to make a big riot about it, but not happy. Not at peace. But God sent an angel to tell Joseph, don't be afraid. In other words, be at peace about the birth of the Son of God. Ephesians 2, 15 and 16 says, He made no effect on the law consisting of commands and expressing regulations so that he might create in himself one new man from the two. That's the two different people, Jews and Gentiles, resulting in peace. He did this so that he might reconcile both to God and in one body through the cross by which he put the hostility to death. See, the first family peace that Jesus is actually going for is the peace of God's family. God's family at peace with each other and God's family at peace with God. And when a person becomes part of that peace, that peace flows down to our biological family. My peace starts with peace with God. Then I can bring peace to my household. But here's the thing. Solomon's family peace doesn't last. Solomon's born and there's this peace. Yay, we have a son and God loves him and we're going to name him peace. And then we just get chapter two down the road and Solomon's siblings start raping and killing each other and trying to take over the kingdom. Peace doesn't last. But Jesus promises an eternal Sabbath rest for his people. Jesus brings family peace that will last. I know it's difficult to find peace when some part of your family is hurt or in turmoil. But there is peace in the sun. So Solomon brought family peace, and that points us to Jesus. But Solomon didn't stay a baby, just as Jesus didn't stay a baby. He became king. And his ascendance brought national peace. His ascendance to the throne of, of Israel. We're going to be in 1 Kings 1, if you want to flip over there. Now, in 1 Kings 1, David is getting old, and so his son, Adonijah, has decided to declare himself king. And he's gotten to a point where he's declared himself king and he is celebrating. He's got his, his buddies with him and they're having a party. Yay, I'm the new king. And David and Bathsheba, or not, excuse me, Bathsheba and the prophet Nathan hear about this, of course, because Solomon was supposed to become king. So it seems they set this up. First Bathsheba comes to David and says, wasn't Solomon supposed to be king after you? Because Adonijah has declared himself king. And just as she's done speaking, Nathan the prophet comes in and says, Isn't Solomon supposed to be king? Adonijah has declared himself king. And so David says, takes care of this, and he makes Solomon king while Adonijah is having his party. 
So we're going to pick up in 1 Kings chapter 1, starting in verse 41, and see Adonijah's response. 1 Kings 1, 41. Adonijah and all the invited guests who were with him heard the noise as they finished eating. Joab heard the sound of the ram's horn and said, Why is the town in such an uproar? He was still speaking when Jonathan, son of Abathar the priest, suddenly arrived. Adonijah said, Come in, for you are an important man. You must be bringing good news. Unfortunately not, Jonathan answered him. Our Lord, King David, has made Solomon king. And with Solomon, the king has sent the priest Zodak and the prophet Nathan, and Benaiah, son of Jodadiah, the Chethorites and the Pethelites. They have had him ride on the king's mule. The priest Zodak and the prophet Nathan have anointed him king in Gishon. They have gone up from there rejoicing. The town has been in an uproar. That's the noise you heard. Solomon has even taken his seat on the royal throne. The king's servants have also gone to congratulate our Lord King David, saying, May your God make the name of Solomon more well known than your name, and may he make his throne greater than your throne. Then the king bowed and worshipped on his bed. And the king went on to say this, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. Today he has provided one to sit on my throne, and I am a witness. Then all of Adonijah's guests got up trembling and went their separate ways. Adonijah was afraid of Solomon, so he got up and went to take hold of the horns of the altar. It was reported to Solomon, Look, Adonijah fears King Solomon, and he has taken hold of the horns of the altar, saying, Let King Solomon first swear to me that he will not kill his servant with the sword. Then Solomon said, If he is a man of character, not a single hair of his, of his will fall to the ground. But if evil is found in him, he dies. So King Solomon sent for him, and they took him down from the altar. And he came and paid homage to King Solomon. And Solomon said to him, Go to your home. So for a very brief period of time, at the end of David's reign, Israel has two potential kings. This is the makings for civil war. Because Solomon is not the oldest of the sons. Adonijah, as I said before, he declared himself king. But for Solomon, David has set up a proper coronation. Solomon didn't just also declare himself king. David had all the priests come together and the prophets come together. And they went to a holy place and they anointed Solomon king. And David himself bowed and worshipped Solomon. And then they took Solomon and put him on the throne. He had a proper coronation, whereas Adonijah had simply declared himself king. And so it's like Adonijah is at the inaugural ball having a good time while Solomon is in the Oval Office with the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, who's king. And all of Adonijah's guests, when they hear this, they all go home quickly. This is not the place to be. They've chosen sides with the usurper. So Adonijah's left all alone at his party, and he decides to go to the tabernacle. A smart move. He runs to the tabernacle and goes to the altar because that is a safety zone. 
It's a safe place. If you take hold of the altar, no one can kill you there. And so he takes hold of the altar and he says, I'm not going to leave until Solomon promises not to kill me. And Solomon has a great answer. He says, if Adonijah wants peace, then he should honor me as king. And so Adonijah pays his homage to Solomon and he gets to go home in peace. You know, it's not easy for a leader to pull off a win like that and maintain peace with the other side. Maintain unity of, of the country. Because Adonijah obviously had people who were willing to follow him. Just think of what just happened in the UK. Prime Minister Boris Johnson achieved a major victory for the Conservative Party. And so Britain will exit the European Union. They had their first vote and it was an overwhelming uh, support of Brexit. It's going to happen. But also what happened with that vote that gave him his majority so that he could do what he said he was going to do in Northern Ireland, they didn't vote in a bunch of conservatives. They, they voted in a a bunch of people in Parliament that want a united Ireland. And Scotland did the same thing. So, in order to achieve his win to get the UK out of the European Union, the UK might lose Northern Ireland and Scotland. His ascension didn't bring peace. It just got his agenda pushed forward. Whereas Solomon's ascension actually brought peace to a potentially volatile situation. You know, I want to look at two ascensions of Jesus. That is ascension to kingship. First, when Jesus was raised up on the cross, that brought peace. John twelve thirty two, Jesus says, As for me, if I am lifted up from the earth... I will draw all people to myself. He's speaking there about, of course, being lifted up on the cross. When Jesus is ascended on the cross, he's going to bring peace. And, of course, also when Jesus is on the throne, he will bring peace. Revelation 22, 1 and 2, were promised this. He says, Then he showed me the river of the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing down from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the city's main streets. The tree of life was on each side of the river, bearing twelve kinds of fruit, producing fruit every month. The leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Jesus' ascension on the cross brings us peace with God, and Jesus' ascension to the throne will bring peace on the earth. Now Solomon's peace only lasted his lifetime. That civil war that he averted happened with his sons. And the kingdom was divided. Northern ten tribes Israel, the southern two tribes of Benjamin and Judah became Judah. But the peace that Jesus brings, I think my 
starting to die here. The peace that Jesus brings is eternal. See, no matter what happens at a national level, that's really outside of my control. I don't control what happens in the UK with Brexit. I don't control what happens with Donald Trump and, and the impeachment. It's all outside of my control, but the Son of God can still bring me peace. Because see, the thing is, I wasn't looking to Donald Trump nor Nancy Pelosi to bring me peace anyway. But the Son of God brings peace to me now through the cross, and he will bring peace to all nations later. Now Solomon does one more thing. Solomon does some architecture. His architecture brought spiritual peace. Solomon builds the temple, and in his dedication and prayer, he explains what the purpose of his work is. It's a rather long section in 1 Kings chapter 8. I'm going to read some select verses out of there. 1 Kings 8, verse 23, Solomon says, The Lord God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven, above, or on earth below, who keeps the gracious covenant with your servants who walk before you with all their heart. Verse 31, he goes on, he says, When a man sins against his neighbor and is forced to take an oath, and he comes to take an oath before your altar in this temple, may you hear in heaven and act. Verse 33, When your people Israel are defeated before an enemy because they have sinned against you, and they return to you and praise your name, and they pray and plead with you for mercy in this temple, may you hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your people Israel. He goes on in verse 35, he mentions if there's no rain because the people have sinned against him, that they should come there and repent and he would hear. He mentions in verse 37, if there's a famine and pestilence because the people have sinned, or if there's any plague or illness, that the people could come out and spread out their hands at this temple And in verse 39, may you hear in heaven in your dwelling place and may you forgive, act, and give to everyone according to all their ways since you know each heart for you alone know every human heart. Verse 41, he says, for even the foreigner who is not of your people Israel but has come from a distant land because of your name for they will hear of your great name and strong hand and outstretched arms and will come and pray towards this temple. May you hear in heaven your dwelling place and do according to all the foreigner asked. Then all the peoples of the earth will know your name. He even prophesies in this prayer about the people being taken captive in verse 47. When the people come to their senses in the land where they were deported and repent and petition you in their captives' land, we have sinned and we have done wrong, we are wicked. Verse 50, may you forgive your people who have sinned against you and all their rebellions against you, and may you grant them compassion before their captors so that they may treat them compassionately. See, Solomon realizes some things about the temple. One, God doesn't live in it. He didn't build God a house. But the God he serves always keeps his covenant. But he says, but God, you always keep your covenant, but we human beings, we don't. 
we sin. God's people Israel, God's people the church, me individually, we nations, we all sin. And that breaks covenant relationships with God. So Solomon has built a place where an individual or whole groups of people, whether they are Israelites or foreigners, anybody can come to God and say, I have sinned, we have sinned, and God will forgive them. It's also a place where people can restore their relationships with each other. They can make their oaths and God will watch. That's why he built the temple. I looked up, there was some very, found some practical ways just to get along with people. These aren't from the Bible necessarily, but kind of good stuff. Give people the benefit of the doubt. You know, don't assume everybody's out to get you. You know, give people the benefit of the doubt at start. Look at yourself for the problem first. Choose your battles. Not everything's worth fighting over. Here's an important one. Think before acting on emotion. When we do need to confront, do so compassionately and clearly. Don't be afraid to be vulnerable. Maintain boundaries. And realize that you don't need everyone's approval. That's good ways to get along with people, practical steps. Now, how does that work with God? God who is immortal and invisible. God who is always right. You ever had a friend who thought they were always right? God's always right. How do I get along with God from whom I do always need approval? Romans 5, 1. Therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not a long list of how I get along with God. I get along with God through the cross of Jesus Christ. Colossians 1.20 And through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. If I want to get along with God, i got to get along with Jesus. <laughs> Here's the thing. We no longer have to go to a temple, which is great. Because there's no temple. Solomon's temple was destroyed by the Babylonians. Then it was rebuilt and built up by Herod. And then that was destroyed by the Romans. So we go to Jesus. We go to the cross of the Son of God to find forgiveness. Because unlike a temple... Jesus isn't confined to a particular geography. Jesus isn't confined to a particular nation. Jesus can't be torn down. Jesus can't die again. 
If I want peace with God and if I want peace with others, if I want peace in myself, I can go to the Prince of Peace. In 19, or excuse me, 1555, Nicholas Ridley, he was the English Bishop of London and Westminster. He was burned at the stake for his witness for Christ. On the night before his execution, his brother offered to remain with him in the prison to give him comfort. Nicholas declined the offer of his brother and replied that he meant to go to bed and sleep as quietly as ever he did in his life. Because he knew the peace of God and he could rest in the strength of the everlasting arms of the Lord to meet his need. This man is facing being burned to death the next day, and he says, I'm at peace. And he gave his brother peace. (laughs) That's the peace of Jesus Christ that comes, that passes all understanding. That can change a family, that can change a nation, that can change our sin. Let's pray. God, you are a shepherd. And you lead us like a flock. And yet you are also a king enthroned in heaven. Your power saves us. Your power restores us. Your face shines on us so that we could have peace. Even when we are at odds with our neighbors. You can restore us so that we can be saved. Lord, today, if there are things that we, in areas of work, I or we have turned away from you, Lord, we ask for your forgiveness. Let us have peace with God, our Father. And if we have things where our brothers and sisters have against us, Lord, We ask for forgiveness and we commit to make it right. We thank you for the peace that passes all understanding that you can give, that only you can give, for forgiveness from sin, from shame and guilt that only you can provide. That didn't come from just a baby being born but from a perfect man being sacrificed on the cross. So we give you thanks for this, knowing that you lead us into your peace forevermore. And in Jesus our peace, we pray. Amen.